Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey you, do you need some spice in your life? Well, this Valentine's Day, why not arouse your special loved one with a sexy Brexit-themed night to make sure you never go back to a single market? Nothing will make your withdrawal agreement happen quicker than making absolutely no plans and then insisting your partner should have done it and it's only because they won't have faith in you that you failed to do anything special at all. To really get things going, try whispering in their ear that you're thinking of alternative arrangements for their backstop. Insist on using technology to create frictionless borders. Try tying them up to remove their freedom of movement and saying you won't charge them if they choose to come early. Then, to end the night, why not pay 11 people a lot of money to turn up and agree with everything you say? Then, demand access to fishing waters and just keep trying the same thing over and over again, but telling your partner it's definitely something new and different in the hope that they'll just give up and leave so you can trade goods with others who don't know you and aren't interested. Remember, this Valentine's Day, Brexit means sexit. So get it on with the kind of special night that will cause the pointless destruction of an otherwise happy union. Hello and welcome to the Partly Political Broadcast, the podcast that asks if the term politics means the operation of a constitutional system of government, then which surgeon did the operation in Britain? Because I think they've sewn it all back up wrong. This is episode 130, I'm and Duyeb, and this week, as President of the European Council and William H. Macy's grumpy twin, Donald Tusk, said that he's been wondering what the special place in hell looks like for those who promoted Brexit without a plan of how to carry it out safely, I'd like to step in and say, that is an awful and ill-thought-through comment. I mean, we all know that they won't go to hell, they'll be stuck in a forever purgatory as bad place officials pointlessly argue for infinity about what to do with them. 
Donald Tusk's comments caused upset in many Brexiteers who either knew he meant them, willfully misinterpreted what he said, or as such xenophobes that they heard his foreign accent and switched off before he'd finished. A number of Conservative MPs said the statement was insulting, unlike, you know, all those comments many of them have made about the EU being like Hitler or the Soviet Union. I suppose the issue is that those are all elements of real-life history which they don't understand and haven't bothered finding out about, whereas Tusk was talking about hell, a fictional place that exists only within certain beliefs, and that's far more the personal ballpark of extreme Tory Brexiteers. It is mad to think, though, that with only 46 days to Brexit, there is still no plan. I mean, I've gone on last-minute holidays that required more prep than this, and the one time I forgot my passport, I didn't try to blame airport security for not believing in me enough. Prime Minister and human cramp Theresa May visited Northern Ireland last week to explain to business leaders that there was no suggestion of removing the backstop, just that she wants to change the wording. Great, I mean, that's reassuring and not at all concerning that maybe the wording will now just say there is no backstop. I mean, it's a bit like saying that you don't want to have your dog put down, you just want to find a way to stop it still being a dog. May then went to the EU to meet with Tusk with no new proposals or ideas because, you know, if you keep throwing shit at a wall, eventually you lose your job as a sanitation worker. I'm not sure why I use that analogy as May doesn't dispose of waste, she just endlessly keeps retrieving it and bringing it back for inspection like a very ill dog. After Brussels, May then went to Dublin as if she'd already convinced herself that that's the route it'll take to get between Northern Ireland and the Republic post-Brexit. And then she met with Irish Taoiseach and employee of the month at Carpet World, Leo Vradica, and the two made absolutely no breakthroughs, but they did eat some beef together. Yet another moment that proves Brexit is some sort of prime event that means it's only ever able to be a metaphor for itself. The only actual signs of movement last week on Brexit at all surprisingly came from Labour leader and several woodland creatures all standing on top of each other in a suit, Jeremy Corbyn, who set out the five terms under which his party might support May's deal. So that's not the previous six tests that Labour had that May didn't remotely pay attention to. It's a whole new five terms that happen to sound like five of the six tests. And then once she ignores those, Labour will probably come back with four really important points and then three things you might like to know about, followed by two post-its that I'll pop on the fridge so you might see them before you leave. And then finally, here's this one thing that's got me tripping as they all flail around to Amory's only hit. The EU told May that Corbyn's suggestions could offer a promising way out of the impasse, but the use of the word promising probably made the Prime Minister assume she didn't have to keep any of them to make things work. She's already rebuffed one of the five terms, which was Labour's call for a customs union, criticising Corbyn for wanting a say in future trade deals instead of the UK's ability to strike their own. Yeah, Jezza, I mean, why can't you have faith in our ability to strike all those deals like we've already done with, um... Uh, hang on, uh, let me check my notes, hang on, uh... The Faroe Islands. Yeah, look at that. I mean, we're all totally sorted for a diet of... um, Hang on, let me just... Puffin meat and Viking metal. The UK also now has a deal sorted with Switzerland, so that's quite good. Uh, And that'll keep our current trading relationship with them for after Brexit. Because I suppose rather than just putting ourselves down, it's easier to make plans with a country that specialises in assisted suicide. As is always the case, the other group to have a problem with Labour's five terms is, of course, Labour, as Shadow Brexit Secretary and stylized webtoon Keir Starmer was shown a draft copy of Corbyn's letter to the Prime Minister that included the threat that if she didn't agree to them, Labour would back a second referendum. But that threat was missing from the actual letter, and Corbyn's office said, oh, we must have forgotten that paragraph. Nothing says government in waiting than either actually forgetting a party policy or pretending you have done. I can't wait for a Corbyn government to try negotiating with the EU with such tactics as Oh, sorry, I can't attend that meeting after all as I'm washing my hair. Or the guidelines for ECJ jurisdiction during the transition period. Yeah, we did that, but uh, the dog ate it. 
May has welcomed further talks with Corbyn on alternative arrangements for the backstop, just not any of the ones that Labour have already suggested. But it does make sense she needs new ones when you see the ones that her own MPs have suggested, um, so far including disgraced MP Lee and the disgraced Fox, who's pushing for a super technological maximum facilitation border with technology that includes facial recognition to deter dissident terrorist groups, because the one thing they definitely won't do, based on previous evidence in Northern Ireland, is wear balaclavas, you stupid twat. The rest of the government's Brexit preparation is going brilliantly with Seaborne Freight, the ferry company that had no ferries, and terms and conditions copied from a pizza delivery firm, losing the £14 million contract with the government. Now, that could be because Transport Secretary and one of Clive Barker's rejected ideas, Chris Grayling, he's so useless that he's basically only in the cabinet to make everyone else look less shit. Or it could be that the pizza terms and conditions only gave Seaborne 30 minutes to deliver, or they'd have had to give the money back. It's most likely the former, though, as failing grailing is so awful that he's no longer welcome in Calais after the port's chairman called him disrespectful. I love that we have a transport secretary that's banned from going places. I hope this keeps happening and Grayling's barred from all modes of transport that he's messed up during his terrible, terrible career until he's reduced to just standing in a corner shouting apologies at a tricycle. Meanwhile, Defence Secretary and haemophobic vampire Gavin Williamson has been getting all excited like a small boy with some new plastic war figurines and started banging on about how the armed forces have to be prepared to use hard power. You know, that hard power, as opposed to the soft power that they sometimes fire from their pine freshener room fragrancing guns. It's the sort of language that makes me certain he has a profile on uniformdating.com. He referred to Brexit as a moment when we must strengthen our global presence, enhance our lethality and increase our mass. It sounds a lot like he's planning to do a year abroad where he just eats a lot and murders someone. It was revealed that the Brexit department spent over £45,000 just printing 1,300 copies of May's deal, which most people read online and is now irrelevant because she's on plan B. I suppose it's still the same. Anyway, it does mean that if we have a no-deal situation, there will definitely be enough loo roll to go round. Labour MP Luciana, not part of a meal deal burger, was given a vote of no confidence by her constituency Labour Party over her disloyalty to Jeremy Corbyn, which was then withdrawn due to accusations it was actually done because of anti-Semitism towards her. Typical Labour, they can't even decide amongst themselves why they don't like each other. Labour have said that they've looked into 673 cases of anti-Semitism since last April, but I mean, they obviously waited till Easter to do it, which is pretty offensive, huh? Huh? No, I don't know what I'm doing either. Hmm... The Daily Mail, a.k.a. the press version of a waste pipe, printed excerpts from a biography of Corbyn called Dangerous Hero, Corbyn's Ruthless Plot for Power, which seemed to suggest that Jezza is such a megalomaniac, you know, of the kind that spends 40 years doing his job before being surprised that he's elected party leader. Terrifying. Classic driven dictator move. Some of the stories printed about him involved him eating cold beans, not reading many books, refusing to go to palaces in Europe due to them being royal, and collecting a lot of crap in his garage. All of which, when read in a Danny Dyer voice, just sound really laddy. Yeah, I'll neck them beans, books, yawn mate, palaces, double yawn, here's my massive man drawer full of shit, bosh. To be honest, I doubt Corbyn's any less qualified to be in charge than May, as I'm pretty sure she has a cold pulse most of the time too. In other news, France recalled its Rome ambassador after, well, I guess they'd just forgotten him for a while. But it comes as part of a bigger trade of verbal blows between France and Italy in a crisis that's been brewing for a while but was escalated recently when Italian Deputy Prime Minister and leader of the Angry Birds, Luigi Di Maio, went to meet the French protest group the Gilets Jaunes, who have been bringing cities to a standstill in France for three months now in protest against fuel costs and austerity. 
Is it because now De Mayo's party five star are part of the Italian government that they can't rail against their own establishment anymore so they have to challenge other countries? Or was it that his Italian sensibilities meant that he heard about a bunch of people starting a trend of fluorescent clothing and got very excited? Work and pensions secretary and only person whose default expression is a head teacher who's heard about how you let your class down, Amber Rudd, has admitted that the rise in food banks is linked to failures of universal credit. This is an amazing admittance from a woman who's usually only at her best vaguely aware of anything, so that is exciting. But she has also said that it's only one of the causes, and this is a woman who as home secretary wanted to ban encryption because she didn't understand it. So let's not get too excited that suddenly the DWP are turning over a new not disabledist leaf, as it's more more likely that if Rudd doesn't work out exactly all the other reasons why food banks are needed, she'll try to have them deported. Eroded no-face mask and Conservative MP Christopher Chope blocked a law to protect young girls from female genital mutilation, and yet another example of him doing exactly what everyone expected him to as part of his endless mission in life as an enemy of women. Dinosaurs have been draped over his door in Westminster in protest of his decision, but I think it would just have been better to pop his face on a load of women's underwear as a very effective form of protection from any harm or unwanted attention. And lastly, sentient ingrowing hair bump on a slimy scrotum, Nigel Farage, has formed the Brexit Party, which will supposedly sweep the country, though that could be because it will be Farage's only vocational hope after he loses yet another election. They don't seem to have a tagline yet, but Nigel, may I suggest for your party, don't vote as in, vote as out. You're welcome. Yeah! Hello, Papa Rods, what is happening? In my house, it's mostly no sleep, and we've now hit the point in parenting where I'm so exhausted. I just do things like I keep putting things in the fridge that shouldn't go there, um, like my daughter. Not good. But other than that, I've just had a lovely, lovely weekend of gigs, uh, including a superb one in Canterbury where I had to drive there during Storm Eric, who is a proper windy bastard. They closed one lane on the motorway due to a house falling on a witch true story uh, and then I had a very nice work in progress mess at Leicester Comedy Festival uh, last night it was Sunday night for those of you listening later in the week um, so thank you to those of you who came to that and basically witnessed a very tired man have a gradual breakdown over the hour and was somehow lovely about it trying new stand up out is genuinely tricky in that you need an audience to do it otherwise you don't know if it works but also you feel very sorry for the audience that took time out to witness what is definitely unfinished rambly nonsense so it is hugely appreciated when people come to these things uh, I'll be honest I wouldn't have gone but sadly I had to be there uh, which was a shame for everyone um, there are no Valentine's things happening in this home uh, this week as firstly I think it is an awful marketing ploy that seems to suggest you should only express your love for someone one day of the year which is silly and way too often am I right ha psych um, but secondly we're also just way too tired for any of that and I have to be in Leamington that night which um, isn't very romantic at all but it does have a royal pump room um, we were way more excited about Pancake Day, but it turns out this year it's in March. What the fuck? What the fuck? How did that even happen? Who even has pancakes in March? What kind of weirdo does that? Ugh. But it's fucking Brexit. Fucking Brexit. Oh, what am I talking about this week? It's just abject nonsense. Um, I hope, you know, you're having a lovely Valentine's Day non-pancakey week. Um, what I should be talking to you about is uh, you and your sexy... Um, ears and how you are lovingly using them to uh suck in this shut okay i'm gonna stop that that's this is really i just stop the valentine's shit okay thank you for listening that's what i meant and this week thank you very much to rosie who donated to the ko-fi site which you can do too at uh, ko-fi.com forward slash parpol bro um and you can do monthly or one-off payments there exciting so many varieties what would you like to do um or you can go to the patreon um 
Which I mean, no one, no one is anymore. No one goes there. No one visits it. It's becoming, it's, it's going to be one of those sort of relics that we'll look back in twenty years and wonder how it's still up there. It's like the Space Jam website, just uh, you know, slightly more useful to me. Anyway, but do go and have a look at it, uh, even if you don't want to donate there, just because I I made a video for it a few years ago um, that's still there uh, and I was quite proud of. So you know, make sure that isn't completely wasted money. Anyway, Patreon.com forward slash Parpol Bro. Um, obviously, if you can't afford to donate or you just don't want to give me any money because you know I'll likely spend it on something stupid then please do review the show on whichever pod app you use or you know just tell that special person in your life to listen to this podcast too otherwise what kind of sham relationship is this shit if you're single why not put a pic of this podcast and a link to it in your tinder app and um no look i'll be honest i have no idea how any of that works is that a good idea would that work would people just try and screw this podcast then leave i'm so old none of it makes sense to me what does make sense is that the kids' politics show that I do uh, and I plug on this every single week starts again this week, so I'm plugging it again this week. That makes sense. So on Wednesday, 13th of February, um, we are at The Place in Bedford at 6pm. Then on Saturday, 16th of February, we're at G Live in Guildford at 2pm. And then on the 22nd of February, we're at The Lighthouse Pool. And then on the 23rd, at The Gulbenkian in Canterbury. There are times for those, but they are far enough away that I'm trusting you to Google it. Uh, you've got time. Just do that. Um, so if you have small people, age 6+, plus, and you want to watch myself and Hatton Spiller from Simple Politics absolutely panic about how to describe Brexit to them, then do come along. It will be a lot of fun slash slightly panicky. Okay, so this week I am speaking to Dr Jessica Garland from the Electoral Reform Society all about citizens' assemblies. Plus, there is Brexit fallout. Oh, God, I'm so sorry I've killed the mood, haven't I? Can we start over? No? Okay, well, look, why don't... Oh, I'll just turn over and why don't you just entertain yourself with a bit of this then? Hmm... Norfolk police are hiring untrained non-cops on zero-hour contracts to, well, uh, police low-risk crimes. I mean, yeah, that sounds fine, right? I mean, because of all the police cuts, I think it's totally legit that someone could pop a hat and a badge on in between delivering kebabs to stop someone stealing a bike, well, probably their own bike that they've inadequately locked up in between jobs. Norfolk police have had to cut all 150 of their police community support officers. You know, you remember them? The toy police that used to walk around when there weren't enough proper ones around because, you know, cuts? Well, those ones have now also been cut as Norfolk police's budget dropped by 5.5 million last year, so they really haven't had much choice. And cutting PCSOs has saved them £1 million. So they've got all inventive and they're hiring what they like to call scene guards. Yeah, it does sound like they'll mainly be protecting theatre props and nice views, but actually, they're going to be standing around watching crime scenes before accidentally running their bike through one because someone's ordered a curry. The job application says, Applicants need the ability to maintain concentration for prolonged periods and experience of dealing with confrontation, so I'm pretty sure loads of post-ed and fringe comedians will be eligible. Admittedly, some of the money that Norfolk Police have saved has also gone on proper officers too, which is really good, but this very much feels like the beginning of a scary run of police cuts and privatisation, which will, as we all know, end up leading to an Uber driver ruining a crime scene because the victim lying in it didn't give him a star rating. And then it'll be Ed 209. End scene, guards. Hmm. A bit of nicest news this week. Um, I can do this very briefly, but the Stansted 15 were a group of protesters who chained themselves to a plane to stop it deporting people to Africa. Um, something that's both awesome and hardcore in a kind of Tom Cruise maybe doing that in Mission Impossible 7 at some point way. Despite doing immense good, uh, they were arrested for endangering the safety of an aerodrome under legislation that was meant to be used to combat terrorism and hijacking, which they weren't doing. I mean, they were doing the opposite of hijacking. They were very much keeping the plane exactly where it was. Um, yes, what they did was dangerous. Yes, it did cause the way to be closed for an hour and 23 planes to be diverted but hey that's still less annoying than a drone 
Anyway, it looked like they could all face hefty prison sentences, but the court just gave three of them suspended jail terms and 12 of them community orders, which, to be fair, I'd say they'd already done by saving those people. And three of the people that they'd saved that were due to be deportive have now been granted leave to remain, and one man has remained with his family that he was going to be separated from, so that's amazing. The Stansted 15 have said that they'll appeal against their convictions too on the grounds that it has implications against freedom to protest, which the Court of Appeal could ignore to make a point, but hopefully they won't. Either way, it's a pretty great pardoning and condoning of what they did, and further proof that the Home Office is just deporting people willy-nilly without any good reason. Plus, I'm really looking forward to the Stansted 15 film, where Tom Cruise plays everyone. Absolutely everyone. Keeping with the really tenuous Valentine's theme of this week's show, do you know what gets me really aroused? What do you mean you really, really don't want to know? Okay, all right, fair enough. But what I was going to say was democracy. I mean, it doesn't, but, you know, said it was tenuous. I mean, hey, sure, sex is good, but if you tried a democratic system that actually allows for the informed voices of the public to be heard, considered and debated, leading to actual political change... It can't be done! Well, no, not in the UK right now, no, it can't. Now we're currently indulging in a system where those in charge are supposedly representing the will of the people. It's just that it's only certain people, most of who are in the same party as them, and some of whom I'm not 100% certain are people. Our first past the post voting system in the UK has been in force since 1884, and it's arguable, as we're doing daily sighing over safe seats, deadlock parliament, and well, Christopher Chope still having a job, despite not having accurately represented anyone's views for at least 100 years, it's arguable that maybe, just maybe, we need something else that fits today's democracy. Now, look, I've met a lot of people, and sometimes I'm not always sure that it's wise to give them a say, let alone a vote, when they can't even indicate when driving or understand what a joke is. But citizens' assemblies seem like a genuinely good idea. No, they aren't just when members of the public get forced to sit cross-legged in a hall while some six-year-olds read them a poem about harvest time. Instead, citizens' assemblies are a way to allow citizens of a place to have an educated debate that leads to actual changes in society. Sounds good? Correct. Possible way forward for society? Hopefully, if anyone can ever remove Theresa May from number 10 without having to use Loctite remover and some pliers. They are very much something that I'm interested in, though, and so this week I spoke to Dr Jessica Garland from Electoral Reform, who conducted a Citizens' Assembly in 2017 about Brexit. And she's part of a team who are constantly exploring new ways of doing this democracy lark. Jess very kindly let me ask her all about what they do, how they work, will people be interested, and if I can still read my poem about harvest time called Hauntingly, Reap What You Sow. OK, I didn't ask her about the last one, but we did have a very lovely chat. I hope you enjoy... Here is Jess. So, uh, I mean, obviously, UK democracy needs something happening uh, at the moment. I think a lot of people are aware of that. Um, is that something a citizens' assembly? And I mean, really, I should ask you, what is a citizens' assembly, and how does it work, and where has it worked before? Well, a citizens' assembly is typically um, a group of around 50 to 200 citizens. It kind of depends how large the area is that you're trying to represent. And they're selected at random to get together over maybe a couple of weekends um, to discuss an issue, usually constitutional issues. Um, And what they'll do is they'll have a phase where they hear from experts, learn about the issues. Then there'll be some debate, usually in small groups, you know, so everyone gets a chance to to contribute. They're usually um, facilitated, you know, to make sure that everyone's heard and no one's kind of 
talked over the top of. And then they get um, through the issues, then they have time to deliberate on them, talk to them with people who may have different views from them, and then come to some recommendations. Sometimes there's even a, a vote at the end to, to get to a kind of fixed position. Um, and they've been used um, all over the world, uh, in British Columbia, um, on the electoral system, in um, Iceland. They had a big constitutional convention um, looking at the whole of the constitution. Um, and more recently in um, Ireland, Ireland had a convention on the constitution over two years, and then that led to um, a, a Citizens' Assembly, which looked at a whole range of issues, and most recently, and probably most in the news, um, on the issue of the Eighth Amendment on abortion. As you say, it sounds, that sounds incredibly civilised uh, for a start. And also, so when you say that they hear from experts, they're given a full rundown. Like how how uh, much knowledge are they given about the subject? As much um, as necessary. And actually, in the case of the citizens' assemblies in Ireland, they then asked for more evidence. So on the abortion um, uh, citizens' assembly, they uh, wanted to hear from women who had um, either decided for or against um, an abortion, and they really wanted to hear from people. So that's another really useful, um, a great benefit of the Citizens' Assembly is that you can actually hear from people experiencing those issues firsthand. So they heard, you know, obviously from medical professionals, and then they themselves requested to hear from from people who had a personal um, experience. So um, a whole range. And of course, who you select is very, very important. You know, these have to be particularly on issues that are very um, tense and contentious you, you have to make sure you're being balanced and that you've selected um, a whole range of people um, to, to share their views and of course in some cases then you have people who are actively campaigning on either of those issues come and talk to the groups it, it all depends you can do it in a number of different ways but of course you've got to be really you've got to put a lot of thought into who you're going to invite along to, to give that evidence so, so which poses the question of how do you find people for that i mean is it uh, if you've got to be careful it can't just be a random selection but then how do you make sure that you've kind of got a broad enough cross-section of people yeah, so in terms of the participants, you really want to go for um, you know a, a sample of the population. So that's you know mixed along gender, age, race, social background. You know all those really key factors. And when we did our citizens assembly on Brexit, we of course wanted to also reflect the Brexit vote. So we had um, you know the proportional numbers of people who had voted leave or remain or hadn't voted. And again, in terms of the experts, we wanted to have both kind of academic opinion you know economists but also um people from both of those campaigns as well i mean that sounds that sounds amazing that sounds <laughs> i i wish the country <laughs> had had that access <laughs> it's i mean that that uh, your your citizen assembly on brexit was in 2017 is that right that's right yeah yeah i yeah. mean is that I, I say is that I was going to ask you is that what's needed now there obviously isn't really time for that to be done now but it feels like uh, we're at a real stalemate with Brexit do you think a citizen assembly would help push things along I mean definitely access to information would yeah and that's a really um, big question because there's lots of different ways of doing a citizen assembly and lots of people are kind of mooting the idea at the moment but sort of suggesting slightly different versions of it and going back to 2017 our um, citizen assembly we were involved in looked at you know the decisions being made about Brexit, how then would you implement it? So, you know, it was sort of accepting the decision, how do you take it forward then? And, and so the citizens in that assembly looked at kind of uh, options, obviously, around trade and freedom of movement and things like that. Um, time is 
absolutely crucial. I mean, artists and assembly met over two weekends, but you you know you also need a lot of time in in, in planning it. Um, also thinking about what exactly is that citizens assembly consulting and what what are they what are they deliberating on you know is it the the the, the whole question of brexit is it is it something broader actually as, as gordon brown has been suggesting issues of sovereignty and um and you know people's sort of place in society those kind of broader issues um so loads of different kind of suggestions but i would say time time is absolutely the crucial thing here you can't rush these processes and also you can't really throw a citizens assembly just into a really um d- divided and kind of polarised issue like we have at the moment. I think that could be quite damaging. So it does need a bit of time. It could really add to, to the debate, you know, sort of informed deliberation, um, really really help people kind of help us move on to next step. But also, you know, we do need to be careful about this to to, um, to just sort of launch into something because the, the other things have failed, um, I think would be, could, could be quite damaging, you know, so because people have to really have faith in the process, faith that it's being... Um, well set up that it's been even-handed you know and and also you know that everyone's got to say okay whatever comes out of this we're we're supportive of it so you know in that case people can't be thinking oh this is just something for remainers or it's just something for leavers you know it's got to bring um all sides of that debate together oh god which sounds impossible um i mean it it does sound like a much uh i say uh, better would be the wrong word but i mean definitely quicker and that's more efficient than say a a second referendum which is going to take months to sort out to, to put together a, uh, a citizens assembly were people to give uh gravitas and importance to the result of that then i think that 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 does sound very sensible i mean do you feel like uh has, has brexit opened up uh, more discussion and debate about uk democracy and how voting and representation works because it really feels like we're in a, in a very stalemate parliament at the moment and um in the in the last election was the first time we start to see changes with safe seats but it, it definitely feels like there's uh, i know it doesn't feel right at the moment yeah and i think uh, I, I think people are looking at parliament in perhaps with with a different pair of eyes or perhaps perhaps feeling I mean, the, the difficulty, I think, is that people are probably just looking at Parliament and saying, oh, politics is just, you know, failing here and, and feeling let down. And, and I think there's a real risk of turning to a kind of sort of anti-politics kind of frame there. But I think, you know... I'm looking at Parliament now and thinking, look, this is exactly what you get from, uh, you know, Westminster system, you know, from... Um, from a from a politics that doesn't do um, collaboration or consensus or kind of coming together and you know bringing people along with you, you know this is this is the sort of politics you get when you know policy is made by pushing pushing legislation through with the minimum number of votes you know what the whole brexit process has been lacking is any kind of engagement any kind of sense of you know let's bring people along let's try and work together on something and of course we're at the sort of nth hour now and you know that that people still aren't sitting down together and saying okay how can we work together to to do what's right for the country and and i think people are seeing that what worries me is then it turns into a kind of anti-politics but politics doesn't have to be like that you know there are better ways of doing things and i think we need to really look whatever happens with brexit really take time take a pause and really look at our politics and 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 how it's working and and not working 
I mean, in some of the examples you gave uh, earlier about when citizen assemblies worked, for example, in 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 Ireland, obviously uh, the one on abortion then um, uh, led to the the referendum. But how have other governments kind of taken the results of a citizen assembly? Because I mean, one of my concerns would be that, uh, and I won't point any fingers. I mean, it's a very non-partisan comment, if possible. But I feel like people very much want to hold on to the power that they have in our government at the moment and in our politics in general. How do you persuade them that members of the public should have a, a very direct say? You know, how has that been taken on board with, with, in other cases? Yeah, and those are the big questions for when you're setting up this sort of process is how binding are the decisions that are made out of that citizens' assembly or convention? Where do they go next? Does it always go to a referendum? Is the result of that referendum binding or is that, you know, referendum purely kind of indicative of... of um, people's you know viewpoint and there's so many different ways and of course you know it's easier to persuade politicians I would say of, of just having a kind of non-binding indicative kind of vote on these things but for citizens to engage in them and give up their time and really you know put a lot of effort into it then I think you have to have some sense that the the conclusions of that um, assembly are going to go somewhere so it's definitely it's definitely a balance there but I think absolutely crucial and what we've really been lacking definitely with the EU referendum with with previous referendums is a really well thought out kind of timeline of what happens next you know at what point does this deliberative process or this direct deliber uh, mechanism fit into representative democracy because deliberative democracy isn't a replacement for representative democracy it's it's something that kind of enriches the debate and enriches the decision making so you've got to think well, where how does it fit in and that's a, it's a jigsaw puzzle that you kind of need to think about before you launch into the into the process sure yeah they need to work alongside uh, somehow in, in an idea ideal world i suppose um i mean one of the the other areas that i know that you've worked on quite a lot um is participatory budgeting which sounds absolutely fascinating to me because that is obviously giving quite a lot of power to citizens decisions how does that how does that work and again does that not remove more responsibility from the government if people have got you know, the ability to allocate funds themselves? Mm. Well, we haven't actually done um, any uh, participatory budgeting our, ourselves, but this is, you know, part of the kind of, you know, scope, uh, range of different deliberative um, mechanisms that you can use. It's really common in um, South America. It started in Brazil, actually, I think, in, in the 1980s. So it's been around um, a long time um, and works at a kind of more local level. And we're certainly doing some work in Scotland with the Actors If You Own The Place um, project, you know, working with local communities on what they want to see for their area and you know when you get down to that local level you you people really do engage in democracy and decision making in a way that perhaps you know they don't at the national level because Westminster can seem quite remote um, people don't have the sort of same connection and um, you know but when you get down to the local level, there's, there's, there's huge scope for involving citizens more in the decisions, which, you know, the decisions which affect what they see on a daily basis. Um, and you find, like, huge level of in engagement in that kind of work. Um, and does it remove responsibility for government? Well, it kind of depends. I guess at the local level, you know, there's, there's more immediate decisions to be made. And... You, when you involve citizens in them, you know, you're likely to get a, a, a better decision and one that kind of more reflects the, the community you serve. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And we'll be back with Jess shortly, but I mean, look. Look, it's this bit again. And I would say I'm sorry, but I mean, it's not my fault, is it? I didn't do this. Trust me, if I could replace this section with just a favourite political pancakes to have, including suggestions for a flapjack Brereton or a Mary Crepe. But, you know, it's not till March, is it now? I mean, it's not even in this month. What the fuck is the point? Also, those are the only two pancake politician ones I have. And Mary Crepe, Creep, Creep. It doesn't really, doesn't really even work. Yes, it was a shit idea. All right. OK, let's have this bit then. Brexit Yet again, I could just spend this section uh, just playing you audio of me throwing cutlery into a bin while a sad dog barks, or the sound of someone repeatedly walking into a glass door, and really, you'd be all caught up on where things are with Brexit. Actually, that's not true, as there is one major change over the past week, and that has been Labour's Brexit stance. And yes, I know that it's probably already changed by the time you hear this, and yes, probably now it's changed again before I finish this sentence, and then Shadow International Trade Secretary and Scottish David Brent, Barry Gardner, will say something else entirely on 12 different politics shows that he's somehow on all of in one morning. But look, for now, Labour have presented these five terms, which if May agrees to, and she hasn't, I mean, she's already rejected one, but if she maybe agrees to the others, then we might begin to see a vote for her deal that will actually go through. And it's a big mite. It's larger than a dust one. It's more a sort of house-sized mite. But it's possible, as it's clear, that very few MPs want a no deal. So... Labour's terms are, number one, for a permanent and comprehensive UK-wide customs union that includes a say on future EU trade deals. Now, look, already this one's pointless, as May has said no, and there is no chance the EU would let the UK have a say in their deals when we've left. I mean, it's a bit like one of my old flatmates repeatedly trying to pop in my house and shout what I should have for dinner. No, fuck off. But certain centrist Tories agree with the overall idea of a customs union with the EU, and it would solve the Northern Ireland problem pretty quickly as well, as well as protect a lot of manufacturing. So you never know. If someone accidentally hoovers up a bit of May's red line or falls over it and it gets knocked out of shape, maybe this could sneak in. Number two is for close alignment with the single market, which is in May's deal, but the EU said it was cherry picking, which is impossible as we're not going to let the people who pick the cherries into the country anymore, apparently. So either it's a full-on single market and then blam, freedom of movement comes back, or it's a no-no to this. But again, if it's in May's deal, it may allow that to pass Parliament, which then means it can go to the EU and then get rejected again. And we're starting from the beginning, it's just 46 days ago, holy shit! Number three. Now this one, May is expected to go for. It's a dynamic alignment on rights and protections so UK standards keep pace with evolving standards in the EU as a minimum. 
The Prime Minister is supposedly going to add a guarantee for this in her bill uh, with what's known as a regression lock, which, yeah, sounds just a bit like they're going to make sure that everyone's going to have adult baby tantrums about it. But actually, it means workers' protections will never go below EU ones. And yet, it's vague how far Labour want this to go. Like, how many workers' protections do you want? Does that involve safety standards, air quality standards? What about lifeguards? Hadn't we better keep the beach cleanliness standards as otherwise they'll get a rash like I did from the sea in Margate in 1986? Hmm. What about grocers? We don't them handling any dangerous vegetables so we better keep all the EU's vegetable standards and what about vets we don't want them near any dangerous animals may as well keep the EU's animals I mean you sort of get the idea Number four, this one is about commitments on participating in EU agencies like Eurotom. Do you remember that from last week? Good times. No, Eurotom. No, Eurotom, etc, etc. Oh, good times. Also, the medicines agencies and the education ones and that one that we worked with to build that satellite that we now won't use. And there's so, so many more. That EU, they've got so much agency. Anyway, you can pay money to be part of these and countries in the European economic area are part of many of these, but they don't have a say. So it's something that could be done and in many ways should be done, but we might be sat at a table while everyone else decides who a Tom is, except us, and my flatmate will keep popping in to tell you what to have for dinner. Number five, the last one is all about security arrangements and having access to the European arrest warrant databases and basically being able to see which crims are where across the continent. Shock, they're all in Spain because we let them go there to open sports bars. No, I mean, this is an important one, but the EU have already said that they couldn't share the same access as we had unless the UK accept EU data protection laws and the rules of the European Courts of Justice. So it depends what's more important to us. Sovereignty of our courts, which I mean we've always had, or knowing exactly who stole the Pink Panther and where they are. Now, I'll be honest, I don't really know what it's used for. It's something, something like that. May is speaking to Parliament tomorrow, a.k.a. just after you hear this or before you hear this, or exactly as you hear this, because you multitask like a pro. It's not clear how many, if any, of these terms she'll accept, but as I said, the one on workers' rights might be a go. It's far more likely that May is going to announce a delay uh, in presenting her plans and then ask for more time, because, you know, I mean, there's just there's loads of that, right? Just help yourself. Gorge yourself stupid on time. Why don't you just fill up another plate with hands and seconds and minutes? Some of those 60-minute meals, there's bloody time everywhere. Just a big old time. There's fucking... 46 days left. All this does is count down the clock, which could mean it's all pressure on sorting something out, or it could mean a no deal, and that looks like now that it could mean a united Ireland. Yes, as well as the question of Scottish independence coming back up, it now looks like a no deal, or even a bad Brexit deal, could lead to an Irish referendum on reunification between the Republic and Northern Ireland. Now, hey look, I'm all for unifying things that are meant to be together, you know, like peanut butter and almost anything sandwiches, but it sort of ruins the whole conservative conserving thing if the United Kingdom just crumbles. And I'll be honest, I'm slightly worried about Wales will be stuck with its least favourite parent forever. But we will have to wait and see. One thing that is pretty clear, though, is that as time is running out, ministers are suddenly rushing through tons of legislation with no one having a clue if any changes have been made. These are statutory instruments, and long-time listeners may remember me barking on about these a while back. No, a statutory instrument isn't, say, a cello made of stone or one of those lute sculptures of Cupid's play. It is instead an executive order on pissy little things, and as a result, they don't usually need House of Commons approval because uh, it just takes up your time. But with so few days to go till March 29th and a need to get 600 statutory legislations passed before then in order for Brexit to happen, who really knows what's being added to them? I mean, it's all being done 
done in small committees of Conservative ministers who've got very short amounts of time to look at things that took years to create, and there's absolutely no transparency in what's happening. They could just be being signed off, or they could have bits added to them. I mean, we don't know if, say, the road vehicles and non-road machinery amendment now says, for example, by the way, no one in Labour's allowed to use a car or they'll get hit in the face by a shoe. Or how from now the Equine Records identification and movement might say all SNP members will be recognised as horses or whatever. I mean, it could be weird shit. No one knows. 117 are done. 40% are still to be put in front of Parliament and we've got no clue what's in any of them. So, 46 days to go, bags of time, eh? And there's every chance at the end of it the Alcoholic Liquor Duties Act 1979 will have been changed so you can only have booze if you voted Tory. And Ireland will be Giga Ireland and Mega Ireland, which includes not only Northern Ireland, but also they'll have claimed the Isle of Man and Anglesey as both sought asylum. In the meantime, May will have only decided to take every fourth word of Labour's terms, Labour will have said that's fine because they're too busy insulting themselves to care anymore, and the EU will have turned out all the lights and just instructed everyone to say they aren't in if Theresa calls. Ah, I'm sure it'll all be fine. And now, back to Jess. I I, I guess, uh, you know, I mean, with the simple thing of I know, I know the issues in my local area where I live and what really needs to be immediately fixed. And and that's the same around the country. Things that they might feel are being overlooked by a larger, you know, by the national government because they don't have time. They can allocate funds immediately to fix it, like potholes, for example, which always is a big contentious <laughs> issue. Potholes or bins or all those sorts of things, you know, and that must be quite satisfying. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think just being able to sort of feel like you can have some influence on the stuff that's happening on your doorstep, be that a pothole or a bin, um, you know, and and also, you know, that you you've already got an understanding haven't you of your local area and the people you live with and i think that's really um really important you know it, it helps people um engage in politics at a level that's kind of meaningful i mean that, that sounds uh, i i like I, I love i love the sound of this and i i think one of my uh, personal concerns i mean this is a very selfish question to ask really but you know the 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 way in which the public interest in politics um it's kind of it's it's grown recently and it's grown a lot with Brexit, it's grown a lot with the Scottish referendum. Before that it was very apathetic. People didn't seem to really care and voting numbers were low. Um I mean, would a more involved democracy like this, do you think it would keep people engaged? My selfish concern is that where would people have the time to take part in all of this? Doesn't it require you to kind of have a lot of extra time to go to meetings, to work on all these things. You know, how do you kind of uh, allow for people's busy working lives, really? Mm, I think that's a really good consideration because, of course, with all these things, you want the people involved to be representative of everyone in society. So you don't want it just to be people from one particular group who have more time than than others. So I think that's a really, um, it's an important consideration. I think also you've got to think, well, what, what are we asking of people? You know, is this a one-off thing or is this a regular thing? You know, with a regular thing, it's quite difficult to to find the time and, and stay engaged. You know, there are places where um, you know referendums are, are you know really really regular. Um, you know, and and you see the turnout for those as as you know down in the sort of forty percent often. So you know, there is there is a risk that people turn off. You know, if 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 there's 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 too much of a burden but of course things like um participatory budgeting is is a once a year thing um so so i think there's definitely a balance when it comes to the large scale constitutional conventions these are definitely not once a year these are once in a generation kind of decisions and i think people feel a real sort of pride in getting involved and you know there's that 
it's it's an opportunity to be part of something really big and i think you know people often you know grab that with 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 both hands and of course you know again how you set these things up is really important often participants are paid you know so that you're not um you're not excluding people who would find it a financial burden to go along um and child care arrangements all these other things should be put in place so you're getting a true cross-section of society um at the at the uh, convention yeah i mean that's that's huge that's hugely important that that care is is in place because i mean just just having the freedom to be able to go and not worrying that suddenly it's meaning that you're losing other work um but i guess like you said as well that i think as i i think one of the reasons that politics has gained interest not just because things are particularly crazy but those referendums were about big one-off issues and people suddenly thought maybe by voting on this it will change things in a way that means something and that was i mean i mm-hmm. i you know that, that's fascinating to see what happens when people think that their vote might actually make a difference. Yeah, and hasn't it just been so long since people have felt like their vote has made a difference? You know, just um, we would obviously say, you know, there are huge parts of the country where in general elections people feel like there's no point in them turning out to vote, you know, where they're in a safe seat, they're not seeing their vote reflected in um, the outcome. And of course, you know, along comes a referendum where, you know, you've got a really direct say. And it's absolutely great that people are inspired then to to take part but it shouldn't be um a one-off you know you shouldn't have a once in a generation chance to to make a difference these should be things that happen you know all the time in democracy people feeling like actually getting involved goes somewhere you know and that's why deliberation is kind of better than just consultation you know consultation is saying these are our ideas send us back some thoughts on them deliberation is being right at the heart of decision making and really feeling like you know your contribution is is part of a really important process and i think that's something that we need to do more of really just get people more engaged make people you know give people real choice and you know real decision making power and do you feel like uh, you know that, that, that i mean british politics in particular do you feel that we're that, that things are more open to these kind of changes now. I know we discussed earlier with Brexit that there's there's various different ideas being juggled around, but but obviously in, in the UK we had the we had the vote against alternative voting um, in 2011, which uh, was supposedly a once in a generation vote on the the future of voting. Um, are we now in a situation where we could see something like that come up again? You know how. How how likely is any of this to happen? That's that's my my desperate my desperate hope. You know, uh, desperate for hope. Uh, question. Yeah, I mean, it's been what that was eight years ago, and like what an eight years it's been in in politics. You know, I don't think anyone would have seen us in this position right now eight years ago. Um, I, I mean, I know every generation goes, oh, this is like this is the strangest thing that's ever happened to politics, and it's just because we don't remember or weren't around for the previous crisis. But um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it does feel like this is a real turning point for politics, and and I and I, and I do I do think there's two root two roads to go down. There's the one you mentioned, which is that people look at politics and think about how we can do things better and how we can improve things. And then there is the closing up shop, regressing back to, you know, regressing back to that kind of comfort zone of the, the tribal Westminster style politics that, that, that feels more familiar. And of course, a lot of the changes to our politics over the years have come from being part of the EU. Um, so there's there's a kind of I guess there's 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 a risk that sort of the models that we've been sort of slightly moving towards um, are going to kind of go backwards. So I think there's there's different routes. There's there's a way we can say, okay, this this politics hasn't really served us very well. Let's let's find a, a better 
route forward or there's the kind of let's just go back to the Westminster system with you know the strong executive the majoritarian system most people's votes not counting and you know that for me I think is you know would be a very backward step. So are we going to persuade politicians first or people first or what's the what's the next step? Uh, Both (laughs) hopefully. (laughs) You know, I, oh, phew, that's easy. I've, I've, fine. I've spent a lot of time talking about consensus and bringing people along with you. So I think um, I think the right answer to that is bringing everyone along with us. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and I wanted to ask as well, that before, before uh, I started uh, the interview, you, you're mentioning that um, Citizens Assembly now is working on a campaign about uh, campaign regulations, which obviously is hugely uh i mean it was hugely important really two years ago uh three years ago but it's um but uh obviously it's still a big issue um uh, in terms of uh we've seen a lot of questions uh, come up recently about funding and and advertising of campaigns so uh, can you tell me a bit about what you're working on at the moment yeah so ers we um i mean there's been a lot of talk obviously about second referendums and potentially even another general election what concerns us is that you know, the last few contests we've seen, our electoral laws have been exposed to being like massively out of date. Um, you know, we, we the, the the main rules governing how we run elections are 19 years old now. That's kind of pre-Facebook. So we, we know that as campaigning moves online and there's like many positive benefits to that um there's actually also a risk that our campaign laws are just not keeping up with that development and you know we've there's been a lot of concern about mis and disinformation about foreign interference about just this whole online sphere being unregulated when it comes to political campaigns you know there's really strict laws about what you can post through someone's door but nothing to say what you can and can't post on someone's smartphone so we're just saying look let's have a think about this if we will have another general election at some point we may even have more referendums you know let's get our law up to date so that we know that those um, contests are fought fairly because at the end of the day it's really damaging for democracy if you have general election referendum and people don't feel that that was fought on on a fair basis you know and that's also about you know making sure we've got all the regulations around where money comes from and how it comes into the system are sorted out as well so we've just had a report out last week where we've got lots of academics and other think tanks and politicians from across the political spectrum as well as the regulators so saying look we really need to do something about this now so we're really keen that we don't have um, an electoral contest where people start to question the outcome because that is really really bad for democracy and i mean just uh i realize this is probably uh too, probably too big a question for what was going to be the end of the interview but i <laughs> i mean you know technology moves so fast and as you say that our, our the electoral rules are from 19 years ago which i hadn't realized they're quite so old um are we do you think there's a danger that technology is always going to be a bit quicker than our government i guess it would require a sort of almost yearly update in order to be um kept on to keep on top of it well, I think the technology definitely changes and will certainly always be, you know, several steps ahead. But the principles don't. You know, the principles of, you know, citizens knowing who's who's contacting them, if they're contacting them from a political campaign, you know, having a principle of fairness. So one um, political outfit can't spend 10 times as much as another. You know, these kind of, these sort of basic principles about fighting a fair fight, um, that, that they, they remain the same. So it's just a question of having... Um, having legislation that can, you know, set 
some broad framework principles and that applies to you know any new platforms that that come along in future future proofing wouldn't that be amazing future proofing yeah it'd be incredible <laughs> I, I dream of the day um well uh, so uh, uh, two last questions really and and one is the very important how do people get involved um in citizen assembly how do they get involved in uh you know what the best ways to to spread the word and get um people on board with this idea um and the other question is something that i ask everyone um which is simply that other than yourself um what other campaigns and writers uh, would you recommend that listeners look up if this is um what they're interested in if they want to find out more about progressive ideas of changing democracy sure well first of all let me plug our website the ers mm. website where you'll find our petition on campaign regs so um if, if if you think our laws need updating join us in in that petition and um there's also a separate um website for the citizens assemblies both the democracy matters one and the citizen assembly on brexit www.citizenassemblies um, and that's got details of all our partners in, in, in those projects um, a range of academics and other organisations all working on this so do check that out as well Thank you so much to Jess for having time to talk with me. Uh, you can find the Electoral Reform Society at electoral-reform.org.uk or on Facebook at Electoral Reform Society or Twitter at Electoral Reform. And the link to their petition for a more proportional voting system is on their front page and it's in the blurb for this podcast too on your pod apps and on the website. Uh, the specific Citizens Assembly website is at citizensassembly.co.uk and on Twitter at UK Assemblies. Uh, next week is all about the transparency or rather lack of in think tanks and then after that who knows who knows why not let me know who I should be talking to and what about and big shout out firstly this week to Chris uh, who recommended that I speak to the actual reform society all about citizens assembly so thank you for that and also to Matthew who sent me an amazing list of suggestions all of whom I'm emailing and chasing up this week and if you have some ideas for guests too please drop me a line at parpolbro on twitter the partly political broadcast facebook group the contact page on partlypoliticalbroadcast.co.uk or or email me at partlypoliticalbroadcast at gmail.com. Alternatively, as it's Valentine's Day week, why not plant your suggestion in the form of roses or other stereotypically sexy type flowers like, um, uh, let me think, hang on, uh, Venus flytraps, because I guess they snag your flies. It sounds pretty sexy, doesn't it? Hmm? Anyway, uh, plant all those, and then when they bloom, I'll get your message as I walk past them. Assuming, obviously, they haven't been ruined by cats or slugs, and that's, of course, if they bloom at all with the constantly unpredictable climate change weather. But ultimately, I'll assume that you just want me to interview someone in STEM, uh, which actually isn't a bad shout. It's quite a good idea. Well done, you. Thanks for that. But obviously, it is uh, just much easier to email me. <laughs> And that's all for this week's Partly Political Broadcast podcast. Tar loads to you. Yes, you. No, not you. You. Yes, thank you for listening to this hoo-ha. And don't forget that if you do like the podcast, please subscribe on your pod apps if you haven't already and review the show and donate to the Kofi and the Patreon and tell everyone ever, ever throughout all of time, even when they didn't have podcasts or in the future when sound will be beamed into your eyes because evolution has worked that no one listens anymore so ears are irrelevant. Just tell all those people and uh, just tell everyone to have a listen. Go on, do that. Thanks, yeah, to Acast for smuggling these audio peanuts under their sound T-shirt, to my brother, The Last Skeptic, for all the musical noises, and to Cat Day for the linear liner notes. This will be back next week when May will have addressed Parliament by giving them exactly the same speech she gave just weeks ago before announcing the backstop alternative of the backstop, which happens to be the backstop. When questioned on it, May will insist it's all brand new material before yelling, oh no, it's happening again, and then making a low humming noise and just keeling over. Bye!
This week's show is sponsored by Gavin Williamson's Hard Power. Are you sick of all this power that you need being in liquid form or whatever the hell electricity is? Try Gavin Williamson's Hard Power. Solid blocks of power made from raw compressed power and heated over power for you to chomp on, throw in an enemy's face or force through the petrol cap of your car, causing it to need extreme repairs. Yeah, just thinking about this makes me all, yeah, hard power. Hard power. These items are also known as batteries may be dangerous to ingest though or force into a vehicle. Please don't give your hard power to a child or animal or defence secretary who certainly is now super fast because he's got new trainers. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 